we haven't met, my name is Pastor John. I'm the senior pastor here at East Shore, and I'm so glad that you've joined us here in worship today. I'm also thankful for those of you who are watching online. This is the part of our service where we take time to hear from God's Word. Typically what we do is we read a passage from the Bible, we talk about what it means, and then we talk about how we can apply it to our lives today. And the way we normally do that is we go verse by verse, we read one sentence after another through a particular book in the Bible. And if you've been here, you know that over the past few months we've been going through the book of Hebrews in the Bible, which is a letter in the end of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And last week we looked at one particular verse, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you're here last week, we talked about that particular passage and about how all of us have a race in life that we are called to run with endurance. And as I was preparing for that message last week and thinking about how this week was going to be Easter, it reminded me of another race that's in the Bible. In fact, it reminded me of a race that happened on Easter morning. And we're going to read about that race in our passage today, John 20 verses 1 through 9, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. And what we'll actually see is there are three races that happen in these very short verses. If you got a, a bulletin and a sermon handout on your way in, you should see that there's three points there. We're going to talk about these three races in this passage because each of these races on Easter morning tells us why Easter, why the resurrection is so special. So if you're not already there, I encourage you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. If you like, you can use that blue Bible that you should see in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible of your own, feel free to take that one home with you. That would be our gift to you. Or you can also look at the words, they'll be up on the screen. I'd ask though that once you are there in John chapter 20, that you would please stand to honor the reading of God's word and then follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 1 begins this way. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran And went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Verse 5 tells us, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. 
Verse 8 tells us, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter morning, where we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that as we look at the evidence of Easter, as we look at an empty tomb and a missing body, it would lead us to see the truth that Jesus is alive. God, I pray that that knowledge would completely change our lives each and every day. To borrow another passage from the Gospel of John, I pray right now, God, that Jesus would increase and that I would decrease. May any distractions fade away so that we can see Jesus more clearly and know him better and grow in our love for him. God, I pray that you would be honored in our time looking at your word this morning, again, as we celebrate the joy of the resurrection. It's in the name of your son, the name of Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now let's take a moment to talk about where we are in the Bible. So we are in the gospel or the good news according to John. It's believed to have been written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus's 12 disciples, one of his closest followers and friends. In his gospel, his account of the life and work of Jesus, John doesn't cover everything. He focuses on a few particular signs or miracles that Jesus did that help us understand who he is. John also spends a lot of time on Jesus' speeches and sermons where Jesus explains what he came to do. But this morning, we're toward the end of the book. There's only 21 chapters, and we're in chapter 20. Right before this, we had the account of what happened on Good Friday. Jesus was arrested, he was tried, and he was crucified on a cross and killed. His followers scattered in fear, except just a few. And once Jesus was dead, they took his body and they quickly buried it in a tomb, and an armed guard was posted at this tomb that a stone was rolled across and sealed. John doesn't tell us anything about what happened on Saturday, but then on Sunday morning, we read about the first race in our passage, the first race, an empty tomb. This first race that led to a discovery of an empty tomb. This happens on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. A particular woman heads to the tomb before sunrise while it is still dark. Verse 1 tells us that now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. We're told she goes while it's still dark, hinting that something is going to come, that Mary and the other disciples are about to discover the true light. Here we meet Mary Magdalene. She was a faithful follower of Jesus. We read elsewhere in Scripture that he actually healed her by casting out seven demons from her. And while most people stayed away from Jesus' tomb after he was dead, she came to where he was buried. Why did she do that? Because she had great and respectful love for her teacher. Another pastor named J.C. Ryle, he preached on this passage. He said, having received much, Mary, she loved much. 
And loving much, she did much in order to prove the reality of her love. She had received great grace from God and loved Jesus. And loving him, she wanted to show that love to him, even though she thought he was dead. The other gospels we have, the other accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that Mary went with some other women to the tomb so they could finish the formal burial preparations for their Lord. They didn't have time to do it when Jesus died. He died late in the day on Friday, and sundown on Friday began what to the Jews was known as the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to do any work at that time, so they had to rush very quickly to get Jesus wrapped and buried in time for the Sabbath day. Now, after the Sabbath, after they rested, Sunday would have been the first time that they could come and finish preparing him for a formal burial. It would have been the first time it was safe for the women to go to the tomb. And so while there were others, John's account here focuses on Mary because she was the one who saw that the stone that covered the tomb had been rolled away. And it's here in verse 2 that we have that first race in our passage. We're told that Mary runs to find Simon Peter and the disciple Jesus loved, who's believed to be the apostle John. Verse 2 tells us, so she ran, she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now this is not so much a race between two competitors, two people racing to get somewhere first, but to Mary's mind, I'm sure it was a race against time. Because she goes to the tomb, sees it's open, and she would have assumed the logical Uh, answer to that. She would have assumed someone had broken into the tomb and someone had stolen Jesus's body. Someone robbed the tomb, which sadly was not unheard of in that day. And so at this point, she thinks someone's stolen the body. We need to find it as soon as possible. So she runs to get the leaders of the disciples, Peter and John, so they can find Jesus's body. She says that we do not know where we have where they have laid him, kind of indicating there are other people who were with her who saw this, just as the other gospels tell us. She's still confused right now, but she went to the tomb out of her love of Jesus and now wants to find his body. She ran to get help because she loved him so much. She was drawn to where he was. Which makes me pause for a moment, and I want to ask a question of each of you here today. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come to a church, to this place on Easter morning? Maybe you would say, well, somebody forced me to be here. Maybe you say, someone, someone made me come. They begged me. They told me I had to be here today. But unless I'm, there's something I really don't know about, I, I don't see anybody bound with ropes here. I, don't, I didn't see anybody who was dragged in here kicking and screaming. No, you, you're here, I think in some part, you feel like this is where you should be now. Maybe you'd say it's because of family members pressuring you, okay. But you still feel like a church is where you should be on Easter morning. And I would ask why. Why do you feel that way? Is it because there's you wonder, you think, maybe there's some truth here. Maybe there's some light. Maybe there's some hope to be found here. Maybe there's something you need in your life. That maybe the answer can be found there. Jesus talked about how this appeal, this draw that he would have for others, that others would want to learn more about him 
And he talked about how it would happen after his death. In John chapter 12, so long before where we're reading here, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That phrase, lifted up from the earth, talks about Jesus being on the cross. When he was killed, lifted up on a cross, something about that would draw people to him. All kinds of people would be attracted to Jesus. They would realize there's something missing in my life, some hole that needs filled. They would be looking for something. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that that thing you're looking for, that can be found in Jesus Christ. Now, it may not be met exactly the way you want. It may look different from how you think your life will come together. But if there's some longing you have, you feel something is missing, that need can be filled by Jesus Christ. And maybe this Easter, this morning, is the day that you will come to know him. Well, let's learn more about him then. Let's look at the second race we find in this passage. And the second race we see is a race to discover a missing body. A race to discover a missing body. We're told that Peter and John, they run to the tomb to see for themselves. Verses 3 and 4 tell us, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Here is that second race, and uh, our tech team, John in the back, they did a great job designing the, the slide. You can see the two little people running to the tomb on Easter morning. Now, as I mentioned earlier, that other disciple is assumed, believed to be the Apostle John. In his gospel, John doesn't put his name. He chooses not to identify himself. We don't know exactly why, but it it seems he doesn't want the focus on him. He wants to keep the focus on Jesus Christ. But regardless, Peter and John, they race to the tomb to find out the answer to their question, what happened to Jesus? What happened to Jesus on this morning? And that is a question that is definitely worth answering. Our text tells us that John was faster than Peter and outran him. And he gets to the entrance of the tomb. It would have been cut in a rock. It would have been kind of low, so he would have had to stoop to look into it, which is exactly what verse 5 tells us happens. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. John would have looked in. He would have expected to look at the very back of a tomb, and he would have seen a body on a stone bench in the back. But instead, he looks in, and that's not what he sees. He just sees the linen cloths, the burial wraps laying there, and also the cloth that was around his head. Now, when he gets there, John, it says that he doesn't go into the tomb. And a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about, well, why? Why didn't John go in to the tomb? Was he being respectful of the dead of a grave? Was he afraid? Is it just that he was letting Peter lead because Peter was the leader of the disciples? Maybe he was just more cautious, had a different personality. And we don't know, but I was thinking about it, and I think he just didn't go in because he was shocked. He was surprised by what he saw. I imagine, if you will, if you know someone, a loved one who has passed and who was maybe buried in a cemetery, if you saw this loved one buried and then you go there and all of a sudden the ground is opened up and the casket's open and no one's there you would be shocked as well and i imagine that's john's reaction peter however he boldly goes into the tomb first and he sees close up those linen 
cloths. Verses 6 and 7 tell us what he saw. Simon Peter came in following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a place by itself. And friends, this would have been a very surprising sight to see in a tomb. In fact, it wouldn't have made any sense to them. These linen cloths being left there are actually evidence that the body was not taken by a grave robber or by some of Jesus' other disciples. The reason that is is because if somebody was trying to rob the tomb, they wouldn't take time to unwrap the body. If someone wanted to steal Jesus' body, they would just grab it. It was already wrapped tightly, and they'd just go with it. They wouldn't stop in the tomb, take time to unwrap everything, set all the cloths down, and then drag this naked body away. No, they wouldn't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Plus, the body would have been decaying. It, it would have stank. They, they would have wanted to keep it wrapped up. It doesn't make sense for someone to just take the body and leave those garments. Now, maybe if it was a grave robber who wanted something of value, well, he would have taken the garments and the spices, but he would have left the body. It doesn't make sense to leave what's valuable and a body to be missing. What could that explanation be? Either somebody was very clever at staging something the disciples didn't know about, or, or maybe the truth is Jesus rose from the grave and he left those things behind. If we really look at it, no other answer really makes sense. Why would somebody unwrap it and leave it there? Verse 7 even tells us that whoever did this, or if it was Jesus himself, took the time to fold the, the handkerchief, the cloth that was over the face. If somebody was trying to steal a body, they would do it quickly, throw everything there. They wouldn't say, I need to steal this body, unwrap it, and let me fold this cloth really nicely and put it in the corner there. No, it doesn't make sense unless... Jesus actually rose from the grave. The Protestant reformer John Calvin spoke about this, and he said that Christ, by laying aside the tokens of death, he intended to testify, to say that he had now clothed himself with a blessed and immortal life. Jesus didn't need those burial wraps anymore because he was alive, and so he left them there. This second race, this discovery that the tomb is empty, it's very important that Peter and John are there because back in that day, the testimony of two men is what made evidence applicable in a court. That's, that's the way it was by their tradition. They looked at an Old Testament passage in the book of Deuteronomy. You can see it here. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for evidence of a crime or for any wrong in connection with an offense. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three shall a charge be established. And here we have Mary and we have these two men, Peter and John. That is strong evidence that something amazing has happened in this tomb. And this isn't really the point of my sermon. I could go through all the other evidence we could pull together about why it, it seems likely, it, it seems that what makes the most sense is Jesus rose from the grave. But Scripture is full of more evidence. We read elsewhere, at one time, 500 people saw Jesus after his death. Many others talked to him. Some ate meals with him. But our passage today is just the beginning of that evidence. And it's kind of interesting because they're discovering a mystery. They're looking, they're seeing, wait, there's an empty tomb. What does that mean? Wait, there's a missing body. What does that mean? They're pondering 
the implications of that. They have some clues, but they needed something else. The same for us. We need something else to understand what's happening here. And that's why we need to learn about the third race in this passage, which is the finished race, which tells us that Jesus is alive. The finished race, that Jesus is alive. Verse 8 tells us that John goes into the tomb, he sees the same evidence, and he believes. Verse 8 says, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. John looked at the evidence. The tomb is open, the body's gone, but his wraps are still there, and he began to realize that Jesus is alive. Now, you may say, well, pastor, I I didn't see in that verse anybody running. Well, where are you getting this third race from here? And you're right, no one's running here. Mary's not running, Peter and John aren't running. But instead, we see evidence that a race has been finished, that someone has finished and won their race. That's someone, of course, being Jesus Christ. He'd finished his race of life. He had lived a perfect life. He died, and now he rose to life in victory over death. So yes, Mary raced against time to find help. Peter and John raced one another to see what happened. But what they didn't realize was that another race had already happened. This race was over in more ways than one. And no matter how fast they ran, they would still discover the same truth. Jesus was alive. He had finished his race. And he knew that this was going to happen. He knew his race was almost over. Just in the chapter before, when Jesus is dying on the cross, look at his words. John 19, 28 through 30 say, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. They put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch. They held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Dying on a cross, paying for sin was the last leg of Jesus' race. It was the last task he had to accomplish before he earned God's prize, the prize of resurrection life. Because he lived perfectly, because he died for sin, Jesus won the prize of eternal life. He would live forever. Many years, even after the part we're reading right now, when the Apostle John was a very old man, he had another vision, a revelation of Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus, and Jesus affirmed to him that he is still alive. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first, the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And he, I have the keys. He has victory over death and Hades because he died, and he is alive forevermore. 
But let's go back to chapter 20, because back on this first Easter morning, John is just beginning to wrap his head around what happened. Look again at verse 9. Verse verse 8 told us that the other disciple went in, he saw and believed, and verse 9 said, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They had not yet understood, they didn't understand that Jesus was going to die and then he was going to come back to life. But this morning, something had changed. I think the New Living Translation helps us understand what's happening here. And verse 9 in the New Living Translation says, For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. This verse tells us another evidence we have for the resurrection, which is his disciples didn't expect it to happen. They couldn't have planned it. They couldn't have had this grand conspiracy to take Jesus' body because they're saying here they didn't think that this was a thing that was going to happen. They had lost all hope. But Jesus had predicted that he would rise from the grave. He told his disciples many times it would happen. He staked his reputation, his integrity, on the fact that he would come again. But his disciples just didn't get it. Like you, like me, sometimes we're slow to understand what God is trying to teach us. If you want to see an example of it, you can look at the Gospel of Luke. This is a good one from Luke 18, 31 through 34. It says, Taking the twelve, he, Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus told them what would happen, but we read, they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. They didn't understand what would happen. But now, here in our passage in John 20 today, it's hidden no longer. John and and Peter and others, they're beginning to understand, wait, did he actually mean what he said? Did he mean he would die and he would come back to life? In the rest of this chapter, we could read it. We're not this morning, but we could read of these other appearances. People saw Jesus alive again. And through these encounters with the resurrected Jesus, the disciples saw, yes, Jesus is alive and he has fulfilled what was promised. In particular, he fulfilled Old Testament scriptures. The first half of the Bible gave prophecies, predictions that a Savior, a Messiah would die and rise again. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, 12, speaking on God's behalf. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. I know there's a lot of different phrases in there, but look at it. It says that whoever this servant is, he poured out his soul to death. He died. He was numbered with transgressors and sinners. Yet somehow at that same time, he bore, he carried sins of people as he died. And somehow after that, even though he's dead, he's able to make intercession, to stand in between, to represent sinners before God. How could he do that? 
If we look at the beginning, it says he's going to get a portion with the many. He's going to divide, spoil. But again, how could he do this if he was dead? Well, what if he was no longer dead? Because that's what Jesus did. He died, but then he rose again. Jesus' resurrection was the key the disciples needed to understand their teacher, to understand their Savior, to understand, oh, this is why he was here. This is what he was trying to do. One scholar, D.A. Carson, said the resurrection of Jesus opened a door of understanding. It proved to be the decisive step. All the, the dots came together. The lights turned on. They're like, oh, now it all makes sense. The disciples came to see that all of the Bible was about Jesus Christ. It completely changed their view of God's Word. We can see the impact of that about 50 days after the story we're reading now. There's a feast going on called the Feast of Pentecost, and God's people, those who know Jesus, they receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, the same Peter here, he starts to preach a sermon about who Jesus is, the difference that he can make. And Peter turns to the Old Testament. He quotes from Psalm 16 in Acts 2.27, and his quote is, "'For you will not abandon my soul to Hades,' nor let your Holy One see corruption. And then a couple of verses later, Peter explains, what does this psalm mean? It means that the author foresaw, he spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter realized that psalm all those hundreds of years ago was actually about Jesus Christ. And all the followers of God who would come after, they also recognize that the resurrection is a key message in the Bible. Before my sermon, we read this verse together. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. Yes, the Bible said that Jesus would rise from the grave. And he did. He finished his race. He finished God's great rescue plan. Maybe you don't know that, but did you know God had a great plan? God's rescue plan was to save people, to help people come to know him. Because maybe you don't know this, but God created what we see around us. He created us as people. He created us to have a relationship with Him, to know God, to know God face to face and relate to Him. Unfortunately, though, we chose to pursue our own interests, the things we want. We chose to sin and reject what, who God is and what He wants, and our sin separated us from God. It earned us His eternal judgment. And so God's rescue plan was to send his son, who would live the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then die to pay for our sin, for our rebellion. And then today we celebrate how he rose from death so that he could give us eternal life. That is the good news of the Bible. That is the good news of Easter. Do you see this evidence coming together? God's word said that Jesus would rise again. In the Old Testament, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. In our passage, John looks at that. He looks at an empty tomb. He looks at a missing body. 
and he believed in what Jesus said. He believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And again, I have to ask, what about you? How do you put that evidence together in your mind? Does Easter, does the resurrection, does that make a difference in your life? Maybe it doesn't, or you don't want it to. You want to ignore the evidence that we talked about today. You just want to treat today. It's, it's another day, and maybe Easter's just a cultural event. It's something that some people believe, and that's good for them, but I, I don't need that. You could do that. You could say, well, there's some things I like about Jesus. He says some cool things there in the Bible. He's a pretty good teacher. Y- yes, I would agree with that, but he's so much more than that because he's a savior who died and rose again. If you just want to listen to some of his teaching, pick and choose the things you like about Jesus, you, you, you can do that. I can't stop you from doing that, but you should know that that won't be enough to bring you into a right relationship with God. So let me challenge you to do something else, a different way you could respond. You could respond by looking at the evidence we talked about. You can look at your heart, and then you can look to Jesus. Let me explain what I mean. First, look at the evidence we talked about today. Look at the fact that this tomb was open and empty. Look at the fact that this body was missing, but anything valuable was left there. And ponder, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Well, what actually happened there? You can think about the fact that Christianity would have died a very quick death if any of the authorities that day could have produced the body of Jesus Christ. That would have been the end of all this. We wouldn't be here today if someone was like, nope, here's his body. He's definitely dead. But that didn't happen. You can also look at the fact that the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, said that Jesus would rise again. You could look at Jesus' words. He said he would die and rise again. And you can add all those things together and realize that maybe Jesus did finish his race. Maybe he actually did die, but now he is alive forevermore. So look at that evidence. But then I'd ask you to look at your heart as well and to be really honest about what's going on in your heart and your life. Because if I, think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at ourselves, we realize that, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't do everything right all the time. In fact, there's a lot that I do wrong. And if we're really, really honest with ourselves, we may admit, I, I know that the things I do keep me away from God. I know that if there is a God, he probably wouldn't want to spend time with me because of all this wrong that I've done. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen. Maybe you're like, I'm actually scared that there is a God because if there is, I don't know what's going to happen to me because I know that there's things I've done wrong. I know there's things missing in my life. But I have good news for you because then you can also look to Jesus, because those problems, those fears that we have, those are the very problems that Jesus came to solve. Another passage in the Bible, Romans 5.8, tells us that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, that's when Christ died for us. He died for you because of his love for you. He rose so that you could find eternal life through him. His call on you is to turn away from sin, to reject 
the, your old way of life, rebellion against God, instead to believe and trust in what Christ has done on your behalf. And friends, I would be happy to have a conversation with anyone about, well, what does that look like? How do I do that? How do I know God? I'd be happy to do it. Any of the other staff or anybody who looks like they've been here for a while would be happy to have a conversation with you about how you can know Jesus Christ and get to know him. That's why we're here. That's more important. My Easter lunch, dinner, that can wait. I'd rather take time to talk to you about how you can know him. Because if you really know him, then like Mary, like Peter, like John, it will completely change the course of your life. If you know him, then he will be your focus. He will be your love. He will be the one you praise on this Easter because you'll know that he alone is worthy of that praise.